I'm Nate Immig, and this is Be Seen, a podcast from Radio Milwaukee and the Wisconsin LGBTQ History Project. Thanks for being here. It's Mother's Day in Milwaukee, and this bar in the Third Ward is packed. It's the 16th reunion of the M&M Club, a beloved Milwaukee gay bar that opened in 1976 and ran for 30 years until 2006. For the last few years, regulars have been returning to this bar, now called the Tide House, for this annual event, to remember the old times and see familiar faces. For many, maybe most here, they can remember a time when being out could cost you your job or even get you arrested. The drinks are flowing, and so are the stories. And I'm quickly introduced to regulars rapid fire. Jody and Steve introduce me to Anne. Then I run into Dwight, who introduces me to his friend Harry, who then shows me to the legendary... Hello, everyone. I'm Karen Valentine, and we're having a wonderful M&M reunion here um, on 124 North Water Street here in the Third Ward. Karen Valentine is a Milwaukee drag legend. So much so that her portrait is in a new exhibition at the Museum of Wisconsin Art called Legends of Drag. Today she's wearing a lovely leopard caftan, towers over me at about 6'5 in heels, and regales us on cue. We're celebrating uh, just a good times, old friends, memories, and a lot of stories that can't be told in public. <laughs> well, that's true. I'm with the wonderful Harry Sutton, and we're with Nate from 88.9. 8. And we love radio because we look ever so young on radio. <laughs> you look beautiful. You look beautiful. Well, you know, the M&M opened, actually. It was called The Captain's Table, and Bob Schmidt, a wonderful entrepreneur, gave up his barber clips in the spring of 1976 with two or three other business partners, and they, and they opened up this place called the M&M Club, and we can't tell you what M&M stands for. If we told you, we'd have to kill you. <laughs> now, my partner, Michael, and I were here the second day Bob was opened, or the, wow. they were opened. Right. In 1976, we met two days prior. So we had our first drink together. It'd be 46 years now in um, July. And this is your partner, Mike? Here? This is Michael. Never yeah, Mike and I. First where we first went down. Because those were the days of disco, and you couldn't tear me off a dance floor in those days. And they're you just, still can't. Well, just ask him about the Supremes. Okay. You don't even want to go there. <laughs> uh, my Motown years were famous. I was 18 when I came out in October of 1979, Sweetest Day. It was a Saturday night. I'll never forget it. You were 18 when you came out? I, I was a freshman in college. I was 11. I was in the fifth grade. Well, you were wow. you were a paper boy. You were delivering the daily newspaper. I was newspaper. delivering more than papers. Let well, me tell you. you always made the headline, darling. <laughs> but the fun I had here, because as Harry stated... This was always a very, very above-board establishment. Bob Schmidt, the owner, as well as Rona, who is otherwise known as Ron Faith. Litany of bartenders, always the kind of people behind a bar who were polite. They knew your name. And it was clean. It was wholesome. The only thing different was the fact that men were with men as opposed to with women. And after a while, after you had a drink or two and you took it all in, it was kind of like, well, what's the big hang-up? And coming to the M&M... was your own private club. It was your own place to be, and you, you felt safe here. 
In those days, you know, it wasn't, the laws didn't protect our group, our tribe, as they do now. And the young kids today have it much easier. Harry is absolutely right. And that's what this episode is about. It wasn't until 1982, 40 years ago this year, that even the most basic of protections were afforded LGBTQ people in Wisconsin, meaning that they could not be fired or denied employment for being LGBTQ. 1982. As late in the game as this sounds, in reality, it was incredibly progressive. Wisconsin was actually the very first state in the country to pass a law protecting its gay residents. So by now, you might be doing the math. The M&M Club and every other gay bar that was opened prior to 1982 in Milwaukee did so at a time when the stakes were much higher, when the environment was much more hostile. And who goes to places like the M&M Club? Well, LGBTQ patrons, which means they too were at risk of being found out just for going out and being seen, which could cost them their job or home. Being LGBTQ was technically illegal, or at least not protected. Historian and BCN co-host Michael Takash has spent countless hours researching how these very laws were originally drafted. So it's almost unbelievable to think about today, but in 1982, after decades of lobbying by elected officials, gay rights activists, business leaders, and even faith-based leadership, Wisconsin was the first state in the union to outlaw discrimination against gay and lesbian people in the areas of housing, employment, and public accommodation. But curiously, by that time, they had not defined that it was okay for gay people to have sex with each other. <laughs> so there was a bit of a there was a bit of a discrepancy in the timing and sequencing here. In 1983, Wisconsin passed the Consenting Adults Law, which said that if you were a consenting adult of legal age, that what you did in your own private life was none of the state's business, and they should stay out of it. And this was the first time that gay and lesbian people were truly protected to have relationships and sexual relations without fearing that they could be arrested for doing so in private spaces. So I I always think it's just really odd and perhaps a little telling that we outlawed discrimination against people that really couldn't step forward and identify themselves for that first year without the, the combination of the second law that is mind-blowing. You think about 1983, um, that is well within um, all, you know, our generation's lifetime. I'm sure people listening right now, you know, many born before that, of course, many born after that, but 83 doesn't sound that long ago. No, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, someone born that year would not even be 40 today. What was driving this change at the time? Was this the, the state legislature? Was this a, a particularly progressive... Uh, political lineup that we had in this moment, or what was what was the, the the driver here? So what this really was was a culmination of several years of lobbying. So going back to the late 1960s, the Young Democrats of Wisconsin had really encouraged the state to reconsider the sodomy laws, as they were known at the time, which made it illegal for people to have non-procreative sex, whether they were male, female, gay, or straight. And the question was not, is gay good or are gay people citizens or, or, or even morality, right? It wasn't, it wasn't a moral question. It was more of a 
ethical question. Should rights be equal for everyone? Should some people have rights while others do not? Uh, should any aspect of society be denied, you know, these basic human rights? That was the conversation. And they kept it very, very narrow so that when it came to influencing politicians, they really couldn't argue. They really couldn't fight back against uh, interfaith council of dozens of the state's largest religious leaders. Like, how do you fight back against that in 1981, 1982, 1983? No state came even close to this. I mean, it was it was so far ahead. And it just goes to show how far ahead Wisconsin was at one time in, in progressive and, and liberal issues compared to maybe where it is today. Back at the M&M Club reunion, the regaling from Karen Valentine continues. This is Bob Schmidt, the owner. Yes. yes. Bob, Bob was instrumental in changing how Milwaukee perceived gay people. We talked on the phone this earlier this week. Oh, yeah, good. So we, we, an hour. Yeah, we... This is a from 88.9. This is why I lost my voice, because we Yeah. How do you feel today seeing all this, all this, it's, these it's, people? It's great. I mean, you'll know someday, but yeah, this is amazing. You know, uh, 40 years later. Um, it's great. I actually, I recognize the faces, but I'm having a hard time with names. <laughs> so we got these name tags. That helps, yeah, yeah. right? Of all the people that are here, every one of these faces recognize this face and this name and appreciate the contributions this man has made to this city and to our culture here in Milwaukee. We all owe him a great—I haven't lost my breath—we all owe him a great gratitude. Well, it might be Mother's Day, but he's our patriarch, and that's why we're all gathered here today to honor— Honor this man and and what the enigma that the M&M Club is to today. Thankfully for us, but maybe not for Bob's voice, sorry, Bob, uh, we chatted on the phone a few days before. Bob is 83 now and lives in Palm Springs, California, but he gets back to Milwaukee every year for this reunion. Well, Bob, where did you grow up and what was it like uh, in your youth? Uh, I, I grew up in uh, West Dallas, Wisconsin. Uh, but uh, lived in Milwaukee uh, pretty much all my life. I did one stint out here right after high school in California and wound up back in Wisconsin uh, a couple of years later and stayed there for the next 50 years or so, I guess, 40 years. What was it like being gay in your youth, and uh, what was that experience yeah. like in, in West Dallas, uh, Wisconsin? Well, we're talking about the 50s and 60s. Uh, I, I graduated from high school in 58, and... It uh, it was a time where you you had you it was totally different. It's hard to uh, relate to anybody under under fifty. You know, what it was like then. But, um, it's not something you wanted to be proud of. You were kind of, but for personally, it go too far. It, it was a, a time when you you weren't proud to be gay. That's for sure. You you tried to hide it. Uh, you didn't want anybody to know. You could be fired. You couldn't be evicted from rental properties or apartments and stuff like that. So it was, you hit. You didn't, you weren't openly gay, that's for sure. Back in the 50s and 60s, there was a lot of self-loathing in the gay community. You were, you were, we were against the law in all 50 states and we were psychiatric disorder, but we were not, there uh, was something mentally wrong with us. And there was a lot of um, self-loathing and, and, and not too proud of ourselves with all that going on. And uh, so it was just 
a different era, that's for sure. I think. How did you get into the business in the first place? I mean, knowing what the the climate was like, like what inspired you to get into the bar business in a in a gay bar at that? I uh, was working for a company, and anyway, they had two good friends that uh, we used to hang off together on the weekends. That together, and we'd talk about how much money we spent in time and the bars. And I said we should just open our own damn bar for a lot of time and money we spend there. Well, well. It was 1975, and Bob and his two business partners decided to just go for it. They got the building on the corner of Water and Erie in the Third Ward, and they opened up the business on July 4th, 1976. And it was Bob's goal from the beginning to be different from other gay bars in town. Biggest objection always was we were so dark and dingy and out of the way places, and then walking to your car and park where you had to park in. Was always felt unsafe. So here's what the M&M Club did differently in those early days. They uncovered their windows. See, at the time, most gay bars didn't have open windows where you could see in from the outside. Frankly, they'd get smashed or shot out. Plus, customers didn't feel safe either. They didn't want to be seen inside. It could cost them their job or their home or worse in the parking lot. This was really a historic event in Milwaukee. Um, I wonder if you feel that way. If you if you see the if you still today feel the history there, and we want to know the real story about what inspired you to tear those windows out. Well, the real story is a half a bottle of uh, early times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, no, I, we had um, pondering some next steps to go and how we were feeling. By those shutters, and that. it just just doesn't make sense to have these goddamn shutters. And those shutters were never my idea in the first. Anyway, so was sitting there one night and I was had a few drinks in me and I thought, you know, this doesn't make sense. I went through actually that night, the crowbar and a hammer started taking them off. I remember the cops coming by and stopped and they thought I was trying to break into the, <laughs> into the place. Why did you think this was so important to open up those windows and to let the community see what was going on inside the M&M Club? Well, as I said, too, it also bothered me that a couple of times incidents were a couple of the customers were uh, jumped, uh, leaving the bar and outside the bar, right, right, right in front of the, on the street, in front of the bar, and we couldn't see a thing. I mean, we, the windows were all boarded up, so you didn't even know what was going on until so after the fact. So it, um, it just didn't make any sense to keep the windows boarded up, uh, period. The decision was made, and the shutters over the windows went. Bob says there was some pushback from a few customers. He got a lot of angry letters at the very beginning. But the worst of it would come from the outside, from the angry Milwaukee community. A couple of times I had the windows uh, busted out. Uh, one was through a, a two-by-four came flying through it. And, and twice we got um, pellet guns chopped uh, the windows, put holes in the windows in the front there. Were you able to forget about those home of like the two by fours that came through the window when you were when you were there in that space that you created for thirty years? Were you able to put those things out of your mind? And, and how did you feel when you were there with your community in the space that you created? I became, I think, um, more determined as the time went on, and um, so was, a couple of times I remember driving across the bridge uh, and. Uh, driving up to the building and I'd see it been graffitied all over the goddamn place and uh, I knew how hard it was to get that out of the cream city brick or I'd see the higgs just dripping down the side of the buildings and windows all over the place my heart would just sink and uh, 
And I think it just made me more determined that uh, I was not going to go back and uh, was not going to change things. So we just park the car, get out, and start cleaning things up, and go back to business as usual. And, um, He gave us his sunlight and brightness, and you're out in the open. You don't have to be less than you are. And he, he gave a whole generation of people a chance to just bloom, to blossom, and, and participate in this city. After the break, we'll hear exactly how that generation of people had a chance to bloom and what classic Wisconsin food item helped break down barriers in the Third Ward. We'll also hear from women who went to the M&M Club, which was also somewhat unusual for men and women to mix, but not at the M&M. Plus, Bob shares what the actual meaning of the M&M Club was. This was a secret for decades, but he's breaking his silence right here in this podcast. The answer is a little bawdy, but a great Milwaukee trivia. We'll get into it before the end of this episode. Did you know that the majority of 88.9's work is funded by members? That's why we can bring you such diverse programming through music, stories, and this podcast. Visit RadioMilwaukee.org and click the orange heart to become a member today. We already covered the bar part of the M&M Club, but the business was so much more than just that. In addition to the drag shows, sports teams and a well-loved annual plant sale in the parking lot, the bar also had a popular restaurant. It was called the Glass Menagerie, and it was one of the only out gay-owned restaurants in the city. It was known for a famous fish fry. How Wisconsin? It's as simple as a fish fry stand. It was, as the years went by, we just felt more included in the community, the overall community, but also it's a good sense of pride in the gay community, for sure. We were slowly being accepted and we weren't didn't have to hide and uh, come down just after dark anymore because we were open for lunch every day too and a lot of the streets half the business for lunch was was straight from the um, businesses in the area and maybe it was a gay bar but it changed they could have cared less for me i just it's interesting you all sacrificed to to, to pave the way for for the next generations to come. And, you know, I think about, you know, your customers and you and, and, and all the things you described today that, that led to where we are. Um, you know, my generation, Michael's generation, we all owe a lot to, to yours. Well, I'm not so sure. Or, or, you know, I think we all rise to the occasion too. I don't think we, if we set out pre knowing what we were going to have to go through and do and all that, it might be different, but, it just things happen, and you just um, you realize uh, what's what's right and what's wrong. You did what you thought was right at the time. It wasn't like a courageous act or anything. You just felt it's wrong, and, and a lot of shit to put up with. That um, of course we wouldn't even think of doing today. Back at the reunion, Michael and I wanted to be sure to talk to a few women who went to the bar, and we met these two. I have a face for radio. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. My body's for radio. You were most strongly recommended by everyone here that Nate couldn't leave until he talked to you. Oh. The conversation quickly became kind of a when Harry met Sally moment, just with no Harry. I'm Debbie Vance. And Cindy Oshesky. 
And what's your connection to this business? I understand you were here for uh, quite a while, huh? Quite a while. Well, we met here. <laughs> we oh, met here uh, 40 years ago. Wow. So it's, um, you know, a big part of our heart. Cindy worked here as a waitress and um, MC for many, many of the shows in the early days. She was great. You know, that's why I fell in love with her, her gowns and her hair. And I worked here under several jobs. Um, I cooked for a while. Actually, I helped Bob build the original patio. That was, that was my first introduction here. And then um, Cindy would come in every day. For lunch, she worked at uh, Chapman. She was a buyer. She'd have lunch with a couple of the owners, Bob's other partners. And she'd sit there and watch me while I was on the ladder. And So anyways, 40 years later, we're still together. And we have a lot of good memories of this place. Wow. So it started. It all started here. It all this started here. This is where you here. met. Yep. Yeah, that's a magical story. That's just that's beautiful that you've been able to be together and you met here. And what yeah. is it? We've met lifelong friends here. And it was different 40 years ago. I mean, yeah. it was kind of secretive and all that. And now it's not. And so it's, yeah. it's, it was difficult in the beginning. You know, you really had to be careful. There was a lot of um, gay hatred out there. Um, a lot of muggings, things like that. Is there is there a night or a story, is there a moment from your time here that you wish you could go back and relive for one night only? Like, there was a time machine you could jump in? <laughs> is there one party or one performance or one evening that sticks out in your mind? I think for me it would be the first night that I went home with Cindy. Oh. Yeah, because like for a month before that, every Friday she was hostessing and I'd bring her a rose and, you know, I sort of courted her. So for me it would be the first night that she took me home. Oh, do you remember this night? Oh, yes. <laughs> you got a rose? She, for... she was living with, with Rona and Phil at the time. So it took a little It took a little while. You had to get some roses, oh, yeah, yeah. a little work. Yeah, yeah, a little courting. Can you share what, I mean, as much as you want, but what, what was that night like? What did you do? And... Fabulous. <laughs> just fabulous. Did you go on a date, or was it just like straight home? There was no. a golf outing the next day. It yeah. was the Ozzy Booba Open. It was, a, it was a gay charity thing. And I was golfing with Ron and Phil, and they said, there's someone in the back bedroom. Oh, my God, oh, my God. They looked, and they saw it, and they just, it was the talk of the golf tournament. They were in shock. Everybody down here knew about it before either one of us got down here because she was the last player to finish. Um, so there's a, great, there's a great picture of us with her holding her trophy over on the patio and me sitting in the chair like, oh, my God, everyone's looking at me. Um, and, yeah, that was, that was quite a day. Forty years later, they're still together, and there's some symbolism in that number. Debbie and Cindy's love story goes back to that historic 1982 law that granted them the protections they felt during their entire relationship. Forty years. I went to one of the first uh, gay rights marches in Washington, D.C. back in the um, late 70s. And the difference that I see now from then is just incredible. And my hope is that the younger generation will take on some of this responsibility, will further this history. Because, you know, to be honest, we don't see it. Cindy and I have been involved with a lot of different organizations. We've tried our best to get young people involved in, you know, whatever it is. And they're just, I don't know, for one reason or another, not interested or figure, well, nothing has to be done anymore. It's already been done. So that's what I'd like to see is some younger 
people take over what has been established for them, what has been fought for for them. Very different out there at that time, so. Was it all worth it? Oh my God, yes. I from going from utter shame and embarrassment and self-loathing in my 20s to uh, 30 years later after the bar and that, uh, I couldn't imagine my life being any different. Uh, no, I wouldn't change a thing. I, with hindsight, lots of things would change business-wise now, but no, I, um, no, it was all, definitely all worth it. Definitely all worth it. Uh, the friends you made, uh, and the people I've, I was able to meet, and oh my God, I would never have that kind of a life uh, if I'd been straight and married and followed my brother's sister's footsteps that way. I wouldn't change a day. All right, the time has come. Michael and I asked Bob to definitively answer the question, the one that generations of LGBTQ Milwaukeeans have wondered. This is a little, a little risque. I don't know if you'll answer this, but uh, last but not least, will you solve this mystery for us? Will you tell us what the Eminem Club, what the Eminem part stands for? <laughs> there have been many rumors and people saying they know the answer, but Bob has never fully addressed it on the record until right now. It was written up, and I think the Shepherd Express, I got part of it correct, yeah. Uh, well, the two partners originally that I had, uh, say, well, you, you couldn't uh, talk freely uh, even when you were at work, and that's when we call each other back and forth at work. So we had a, a subcode language, uh, codes that we'd use things, you know. And M&M was part of the thing, uh, what you, what'd you do last night? And, you know, oh, DBT, with, uh, you know, so nobody in the office or around you would know what they're talking about. Well, DBT was doorbell trade. You know, somebody came over and it was a whole uh-huh. slew of things like uh, DBT. that. DBT, we should bring that and one back. Club. I like that. <laughs> Anyways, M&M Club would fit into that. And the true medium was medium meat. Medium. <laughs> That's right. You heard uh, medium meat. Uh, well, uh, how was he? And it was either, you know, DTA down to the ankles, you know, <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, I got you. <laughs> or M&M, medium heat, so that was, you know. So a nice, sensible medium is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the code has been cracked. But, you know, as silly as that joke is, it does speak to the time when these protections were not guaranteed, when people had to come up with code words just to talk about their personal lives or a night out. And it wasn't just on the phone. It was in person. In fact, a lot of people use code names at the bar because they didn't want to be found out. In fact, still today, many of these patrons still answer to those nicknames 30 or 40 years later. Kind of a throwback to when those protections, again, weren't guaranteed. It is astonishing that this passed in 1983 in this very narrow window of time, and here's why. AIDS was already looming over America. People were already thinking, like, sex equals death. Like, like AIDS and the risk of AIDS and the unknown cause of AIDS. All of this was was front of mind. And had this been delayed, had this been postponed, had this been um, tabled for another year, this probably wouldn't have passed. Because by 1984, there was far more concern about AIDS in Wisconsin than there was in 1983. I still have trouble wrapping my, my head around gay marriage yet. I honestly do. I just think I can't believe it. But Which also could be on the chopping block, too, if we're not careful. Our infinite thanks to Bob Schmidt, not only for the interview today, but for everything he's done 
for the city of Milwaukee. Bob, we thank you. And thank you for listening to episode two of Be Seen, an original podcast from Radio Milwaukee and the Wisconsin LGBTQ History Project. Coming up on our next episode, it's all about drag. We met Josie Carter in the first episode. Karen Valentine, we met her in this episode. And in episode three, we're meeting Milwaukee's drag mother, BJ Daniels. BJ and Michael actually wrote a book coming out this year, tracing the history of Milwaukee's drag scene, including our first female impersonation performance way back in the 1880s. Join us next week for that powerful story. And be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening right now. I'm Nate Immig, and this is Be Seen. Talk to you next time. Be Seen is hosted by me, Nate Immig, and Michael Takash. Our producer and audio engineer is Kenny Perez, with additional support from Salam Fatire. Marketing on 88.9 is led by Sarah Lahr. Our logo and branding by Aaron Bagata. Social media by Dan Reiner. And community engagement by Maddie Reardon. Dory Zori is 88.9's program director. And Danae Davis is 88.9's interim executive director. Thanks most of all to our members for making this and all content on Radio Milwaukee possible. This is Be Seen from Radio Milwaukee and the Wisconsin LGBTQ History Project.